Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Virtual on Relay FM. This episode of Virtual is brought to you by lynda.com where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts. For a free trial, visit lynda.com slash virtual and hover simplified domain management. My name is Mike Hurley and I'm joined as always by my partner in crime, Mr. Federico Vitici. Hey Mike. How you doing buddy? I'm doing good. I'm a bit tired. I've been, you know, uh, in the middle of a house move, but I'm um, I'm in Rome. I, I have a new setup, uh, you know, a temporary one. I'm still tweaking things, you know. I have a temporary desk. I'm in a new room. I have no furniture, so you can hear a bit of an echo, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a nice view in front of me right now. It's the beautiful city of Rome at night. And I guess I'm good, Mike. Very nice. I brought my Wii U. And oh, my yeah? 3DS and my PS Vita already here with me. I played a bunch of um, Mario Kart um, for the Wii U last night with the contractors that were here working. <laughs> <laughs> we took a break to, to play Mario Kart. <laughs> you know, Mario Kart is universal. Everybody knows Mario Kart. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the guys needed a break. So I just figured, whatever, I just connect to the Wii U to the television and <laughs> just play some Mario Kart. I've. The further and further it gets from me not having Mario Kart, the more and more I want it. Oh, it's so good. Man. I want to play that game so bad. Like, I just want I just want Mario Kart, but that means I have to buy another games console. Well, you gotta, you got to buy the Wii U for Mario Kart and the upcoming Smash Brothers. Yeah. I'm... I mean, you got you to gotta get one for Christmas, Mike. Do you know what, Federico? I might get one for Christmas. What a great <laughs> idea, because I never know what, what to get for idea. Christmas. I yeah. may as well just get a Wii U. What a great idea. This is why I need you around. You, didn't we agree that you would be my purchasing advisor? Yeah, probably. That sounds like a Some, thing that I, that I would say to you, yeah. So, brilliant. Nice nice advice. Sh- should I also tell your girlfriend to, to buy you a Wii U? Should I just give her uh, gift ideas? I think I'll get my mom to buy it for me. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a PS4. Oh yeah! You know? As soon as things settle down a bit, I gotta buy a new. I gotta buy a new TV. So I'm in the yeah. I'm in the market for a, a new HD television. Probably gonna go uh, 1080p this time because mm-hmm. I'm stuck on a on an old first gen HD TV, which mm-hmm. kind of sucks. And uh, I want a bigger monitor anyway, so. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get a new TV. Then I'm gonna get a PS4. That'd be sweet. Then I'm gonna play all the all so, the PlayStation games on the bigger games. screen. You gotta get. You gotta get it for the uh, for No Man's Sky, man. Yeah. I was, I, was, I was thinking about that game. I was just thinking about it. I was like, oh, it's gonna be so good. Like it, for no reason. I was like on my way to work a couple of days ago. And you were thinking about No Man's Sky. And I was just like, hmm, video games. Oh man, No Man's Sky. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know why why it came to my mind. Were you were you on the tube while you were having these thoughts? No, I was going up an escalator. Hmm. I saw the I saw the, the photos of the new tube that London is getting. Oh yeah, I know. Right? Those are those are crazy. Yeah, not to like twenty twenty though, but still twenty twenty. Okay, yeah. it's gonna be sweet. They're like LEDs and they got Wi Fi in them. Yeah, like an air cooling system. An air cooling system. <laughs> you need that though, man. Those tubes get so hot. Like they just, it's it's horrible. It really is just horrible. But do people in London on the tube play any video games? Have you yeah. ever seen any PS Vitas or? Yeah, yes. Yeah. 
PS Vitas, I see uh, 3DSs and people playing games on their iPhones. Hmm, Yeah, of course. I play games on my iPhone. I've played uh, Vita and the 3DS on on the tube. Is it? This is. This may sound strange. Um, Do you ever feel like 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 when you are on the on the tube, right? It's yeah. not in the tube. On the tube. Uh, while you're on the tube, do you feel like afraid to to show your iPhone or your, another game console because there might be people, you know, not so well intentioned? Because when, that's a problem in Rome. When they're really new, but eventually everybody's just doing it, so you kind of just like whatever. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's it must be a, like a Roman thing to just be careful with you know the devices that you show in the public. Especially like late at night, it's not super right. safe. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I I want to play some PS Vita on, on the. Well, it's called the it's called the Metro here, right? The tube. It's it's the Metro. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. So I I need to play some PS Vita on the Metro, then send the photo to Shahid. Show PS Vita in Rome. <laughs> But yeah, Mike, I'm I'm good to answer your original question. I'm good. <laughs> it feels like like a huge just a long um, way of just saying yeah, no, everything's fine. I, I needed to provide you with some context. I'm happy to have it though. The context. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad. <laughs> so, do you want to talk about video games? Do you want to talk about the weather? I don't know. I guess video games. I would quite like to talk about video games. We can talk about the weather if you want, but I would like to talk about to talk about video games right now. And I think you want to you want to talk about a video game that is coming to the PS Vita. Um, I think in a few days. Yes, it's been it's been announced finally that the PS Vita version of Minecraft oh, is, God. <laughs> is going to be debuting on the 15th of October. Um, at the moment, I think this has only been announced in Europe. There has not been yeah. a, uh, a North America um, release date announced, but this has come from 4J Studios. So this means that I have, or at least I will have, homework to do uh, because I promised you that I would play Minecraft on the PS Vita once it would be released. Yep. Uh, the only problem is that it's the day before the Apple event. Yep. Oh, well, that's perfect, the day before the Apple event. The day before is surely when you're not doing anything. <laughs> so de- it's, it's the like, day after like the day I'm, after. That's the problem. It's not like I'm, I'm preparing articles, right? I just can play Minecraft. Yeah, I guess I could play Minecraft the day before, you know, to relax. I could probably build like a giant Apple store in Minecraft. I'm, I have no doubt that people have already done that. I'm pretty sure that that if you Google Apple Store Minecraft, you can find people doing the Glass Cube Apple Store with Minecraft Let's see. stuff. So, um, Apple Store Minecraft. I'm okay, sure that the first result is the is the Fifth Avenue Apple Store. Let's take a look at what we got here, Minecraft. Uh, yeah, it's just all <laughs> it's just all the the Fifth Avenue Store. Like if you just go to Google Images, which is where I am. It's basically just a page of the Fifth Avenue store over and over <laughs> wow. and over again. Yeah. Are they nice? They all look fantastic, actually. Oh, there's one that's like this mythical thing. It's the Fifth Avenue store, but on an angle. So like it's the point. And then there's a floating iPhone. 
Anyway, so... (laughs) (laughs) I love this show. Uh, So Minecraft is coming to the Vita. Um, We have something really awesome uh, on today's episode. I mean, we're going to talk about Super Smash Bros. in a bit, but we we have a special guest joining us in just a moment. It's David D'Angelo of Yacht Club Games, who are the makers of Shovel Knight. And we're really, really excited about that. But before we do that, I want to thank our first sponsor for this week's episode. Federico, are you down with that idea? I am. I am super down with that idea. Excellent. This week's episode of Virtual is brought to you by our friends at Lynda.com, who provide you with an easy and affordable way to learn some awesome stuff. They can help individuals learn, organizations learn, and they do this with these fantastic, awesome really professional videos. Linda cover a whole breadth of topics. They can make you an expert in software design and development, web development, graphic design, business skills, maybe you want to be a super cool podcaster like us. Linda.com can help you with everything. And they do this with their fantastic video courses that are produced at the very highest quality. These courses are broken down into small bite-sized chunks so you can learn at your own pace. You can learn wherever you want to learn too with their mobile apps. You can learn with Linda.com on the iPhone, on iPad and Android, of course on your Mac or PC too, or you can watch all these on the web. Their courses, as I say, they're broken down into these chunks, but they also have a great way of going in and finding information about them. So let's say you've watched uh, you've watched the video that you want to watch on Logic Pro 10, right, which is one that, that I love very much. Um, and you think, oh, I'm sure he said something about compressor settings. So you can type into their transcripts and just type compressor, and it will show you all of the points where that was spoken about. You can click that area and start watching the video right from that point again. For someone like me who has a terrible memory and can only remember small fragments of information, this works out really well. Um, I love the fact that you can create playlists. So let's say you're embarking on a new project, you want to launch a new website, so you want to learn a little bit about web development, then you want to learn a little bit about um, marketing, and you want to learn a little bit about design, right? You can create yourself a little playlist which will encompass having all of these videos and make yourself a little course syllabus or something. You know, and I've mentioned some of these things, but they also have, if you want to learn how to make music, you know, and you want to learn how to make music with your computer and stuff like that using Pro Tools, they have courses on this sort of stuff. Uh, maybe you want to learn some stuff in photography. They have all of these as well. You know, If you want to take up a new hobby, lynda.com can also help you with that. Now, the best way you're going to get to see all of this is by going and checking it out for yourself. And we've worked out a great deal with Lynda to get you uh, access to all of their courses for free for seven days. So go to lynda.com slash virtual to sign up. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash virtual. If you like the sound of this and you love our shows, please go and support us by going and visiting lynda.com slash virtual because that helps us directly. Thank you so much to Linda for supporting this show and Relay FM. So it's an absolute pleasure um, for us to be joined by a real special guest this week on Virtual and we have David D'Angelo from Yacht Club Games. Hi, David. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being on this week. Um, we're On this show, we we have been sort of like on shovel night watch like you know because <laughs> uh, you know any in case for anybody that hasn't guessed already me and federico are in europe so the it's taken a little bit longer for the for the game to find its way to us but we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit um but for anyone that doesn't know what is shovel night and what makes it special 
Uh, Shovel Knight is a retro 2D platformer uh, in an NES graphical style. So it's a lot like, you know, the old classics you remember, like Mario, Castlevania, uh, Zelda, Zelda 2. Uh, you know, all, any NES game you played as a kid and you you fell in love with, you would probably find some semblance of that in Shovel Knight. Uh, but, it, I mean, it's its own, I think the the reason people are gravitating towards it so much is because, like, we really tried to create a new property that felt fresh and, you know, a world you could fall in love with. Uh, and, you know, every, you know, game, you know, we, we're going for this NES style where, you know, when you play the old NES games, the, the gameplay per square inch was enormous, right? Uh, and that's sort of what we were trying, you know, we were trying to hit really hard was getting that, that, that feel of gameplay that you, you remember loving so much. How did the the team, how did Yacht Club Games come together? Uh, we were all, at, we all worked at WayForward uh, previously, so, um, but in various capacities. So uh, the way WayForward works is they do a lot of licensed games and they do their own property, own intellectual properties too. But uh, when you work on a game, for example, you work, we all, you know, Sean and I worked on Blood Rain Betrayal together. And then Blood Rain ended and we all, the team got totally split up and put onto new projects, whatever needed help at the time. So we had all worked on various projects together at certain points in time. And we all liked each other, but on Double Dragon Neon, which is the last game we worked together at Way Forward, we, it was like we clicked as a unit. It was all of us working together for the first time. And we decided, hey, we don't want to break up this team. Like, there's no way we could stay together for another game. Like, so the only way we can do it is if we start our own company. And that's and sort of where we came from. How big is the team? Uh, it's about half a dozen people. I mean, we have, you know, we have like interns and freelancers coming in and out. Um, but yeah, usually it's around there. <laughs> so, and I mean, so you had the idea, I mean, somebody in your team, if not you or the people that you work with, if you had the idea for this game for, for Shovel Knight, why did you choose to make a retro-feeling game? Was that the first decision, or did you have the idea for the character first? How did that sort of creative process come about? Yeah, there were a lot of lot of uh, pieces that went into that puzzle. <laughs> uh, we we knew we were, sm- we were going to be a small team, right? So we didn't we couldn't handle much art. Uh, you know, producing much art, we couldn't handle like the scope of a big, huge AAA or otherwise game. So we knew, like, oh, we need to do something with simple art. Uh, and then when we're when we're coming around or in like a simple size, and when we're thinking about that, you know, one of the things we were doing at Way Forward all the time was we were reviving all these old games. You know, Contra Four, Double Dragon, Neon, um, A Boyness Blob. Uh, you know, and, and like, even, even when we did our license properties, we were doing things like, um, like Batman, the brave and the bold, which is not necessarily an NES game, but what the only, this was before, uh, Arkham, you know, the Arkham games came out and the only Batman video game to look at was basically the NES one. Um, so that's sort of where we were, you know, basing our, our gameplay ideas from. And then. So we, we were making all these revival games and we kept thinking like, wouldn't it be cool if we were the ones making the first in the series? If we were, you know, if we like tried to mimic what they did, 
back then and see if we could actually come up with something as great, you know? Uh, so that was a lot of what inspired it. And then the other big component to it was we were looking at all the games like in on the modern landscape, right? And you have things like Grand Theft Auto, which I don't mean to like, I'm not bringing it down in any way, but Grand Theft Auto is like an extremely complicated game, right? Just for anyone to drop into. Like, you know, the, the example I usually use is that you can, there are different controls. Um, like the way you control the game is different when you're flying, when you're driving, when you're on a wave runner, when you're on a boat, when you're, when you're swimming, when you're in a helicopter, when you're in a plane, like, and that, and that is just like the modes of transportation, right? I never thought of it like that. Right. And so it's like, it's so complicated. And I think it like the idea of making a game that comes from like one mechanic, like Shovel Knight's down thrust just felt like really refreshing. Like just that simplicity um, just seemed like, I think people, we just expected that people would like get Shovel Knight and, and be like, I don't know why this feels so like comfortable to me. Like, so it, like, it feels like I'm re- like, I'm at my home or something, you know, that same feeling when you like go back to your parents' house after a while, it's like a homecoming. I don't, I don't know. It's like, you've been missing this kind of like simplicity in games for such a long time that you forgot it existed. So, I mean, I wanted to talk about my, cause I have a bunch of other stuff about like the creation of the game that I wanted to ask you. And I wanted to talk about in a bit, like my impressions of playing it because people yeah. listening to the show, I mean, I, this is, I played the game for the first time today. So like, Oh wow! Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I played a lot of it. Uh, but you've kind of hit on something that I I wrote down. So like my exact note is I played a lot of indie games that try to replicate the games we played as a kid, but Shovel Knight replicated that feeling greater than any other. Like right down to the way that the controls feel, and I can't work out anything like what it is. But there's <laughs> yeah. something that you've made where it feels like a SNES game, like. I'm playing on an Xbox 360 controller on my MacBook Pro, but it feels like I'm playing on a Super Nintendo on a CRT TV. Like I can't get it. Like, but you've you've just the way that the character moves and feels, and like the weight behind him and stuff. It just feels like an old game. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, I think, yeah, I think a lot of you know when you're other retro games or what people call retro games, I don't think are actually, most of the time, I don't think they're retro. They're, they're in an old, they're in an old art style, maybe like they're pixel graphics. Um, but usually they're trying to do something new or, you know, like take, for example, like, um, like a braid or something, right? Like a braid is a 2d platformer that has a 2d art aesthetic which might feel old you know you're hopping around sort of like mario uh but it's like it's very much trying to be a new thing um and i think like you know with all the like the 2d flash games like super meat boy ish style experiences like they're definitely like there's definitely a you know we're creating a game that you know like has the acceleration like mario um, and that sort of fun to it. But I think they're creating like something very, very different than what we did with Shovel Knight, right? Yeah, Which they, is, 
it's like it's it's new game mechanics with an old style rather than right. going old and when and you old. yeah when you look at it and when you play it you're like you think you're playing an old experience i think but you don't re- but it's like it's not an old experience it's something new and like i guess it's like harder to make that separation when when like it in another in lots of ways it seems it seems like it's an old thing so one of the interesting things that I found also about playing the game is the boss fights. Yeah. Because this is where it all kind of just like kicks off. Like, so I'm used to this like old style of play. So like, you know, one of my favorite things in the game is like, if you leave a level and you go back, the enemies are there again. Right. And that feels like a choice that you made because, because oh, yeah. this is just not how games are made anymore. Like they're, they're just gone forever because why wouldn't you do that? So there's like, <laughs> I'm getting used to all these things like, oh, yeah. So I expect to come to the boss fight and feel like this, like, you know, the pattern of three type boss fight, you know, <laughs> right, right. he jumps over there. So you jump over there. But the, like for the first boss fight, it just all kicks off and the guy's like running around the screen. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, what's happening? Because, But that makes it like a different kind of, like challenge which is way i guess the way that the boss fights should be like it felt they feel like i'm dueling with another character rather than it being like these predetermined actions yeah i mean a lot when we're i mean this like goes into part of our philosophy which is like when we're looking at these old nes games um you know a lot of them were these like patterned based bosses that like where where the patterns are so easily recognizable that it's not fun yeah. a lot of the times, right? So I mean, we were looking at these, you know, we are looking at a lot of NES, you know, or Super Nintendo elements and saying like, you know, this is this is good, but like, if we were to like redo it in a way, so it's like, it reminds you of what that was, but it doesn't like have the you know, bad connotations with that. You know, there's like a lot of modern game design theory that like wasn't, didn't exist in the eighties. And when like, and like have it after having played like modern games for so long, like when you go back to those, you obviously see how it's like sort of flawed. And so, you know, we're trying to think of the ways like where we can sort of get that experience, but not, not have the bad that's coming with it. Right. Totally. So that, uh, yeah, it's a, it was like definitely a tricky thing. And, you know, when we were looking at the, like the boss battles, we were thinking a lot about like, how do we, that like that duel is, I think a perfect example. Like, I mean, it's a very, we wanted to be like a very strong contrast from what you were doing in the levels. Cause like, cause the, cause a lot of what you're doing in the levels is like pattern recognition in a sense, which is like you get, you enter a screen and you say like what what is here that like it's like a puzzle solving which is like what pattern recognition is right you like walk in and you say like oh i need to like jump to this ledge and if i bounce off this thing i can get there or whatever right mm-hmm. um so we wanted like those the boss battles to feel like you know something different and fresh compared to that you know the 25 screens you had seen previously mm-hmm. david i wanted to ask you um I was thinking about, you know, um, I read your article on, on Gamma Sutra uh, a while ago, and you mentioned this, uh, this problem of trying to apply modern design lens- lessons to, to an old style. And right. I wanted to ask you, what's the little design or development detail that you're really proud of about how it turned out in the final game? Of, like, adapting something? 
yeah, you know, the, the little, a little detail, uh, you know, the, a little mechanic that you had to adapt to, to an old yeah. style. That yeah, I mean, I think maybe like some the, people haven't noticed. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, the one, the one everyone usually notices, uh, at, at least after like halfway through the game, maybe, uh, is that is our checkpoint system. So I don't know if you've played enough to experience it yet, but the checkpoints in the game are actually breakable. So oh, you, I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, like, there's so there's the bulb and it lights on fire, right? Uh-huh. And when you when you pass by, it lights on fire and it just acts like a normal checkpoint. But if you hit that glass bulb, it'll break and a bunch of gems will come out of it. <sighs> so basically, there's a. So when we are so. The, the like the history lesson here, I guess, is that we were looking at these old, we were looking at like Mega Man, for example. And Mega Man has two checkpoints in a stage and they operate like silent checkpoints. You don't see them, you don't know they're happening, right? And, okay. you know, the first step was, oh, like a silent checkpoint is sort of bad. Like you don't, it's, it's sort of stressful to not, it's stressful in a bad way, I should say, to not know when you've like gotten to the checkpoint. And it's really, and, it, and on the opposite side, it's like really satisfying to know, like I hit that checkpoint, like in Super Mario World, when you come across like the flag or whatever, you, you hit that and it goes like, and you're like so excited. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we wanted to like get that experience. And at the same time, we were thinking, you know, when we were making the game, everyone kept, when we were making like a demo and showing it around to conventions, people kept coming up to, uh, to us and saying like, please don't make this game any as hard. Like I don't want to replay the entire stage again. Yeah. Like that's the worst part. So we were thinking, Oh crap. Like we need to put in a lot of checkpoints, but at the same time, we don't want to like put off the people that like that, you know, that like the drama that like a two point checkpoint system from Mega Man, for example, would make, or like, you know, the Dark Souls, like, it's so long to your next checkpoint, and there's so much stress there, um, and so much enjoyment out of, like, uh, reaching that checkpoint. So we wanted to make that, have that same feeling. So the way we thought of doing that, basically, was to have that split, where we put in a lot of checkpoints, but there's the trade-off where you can, if you break it, you can get the money out of it, and then it no longer works as one. So it's, a, it's like a gambling system. Right. Oh, I like that. I'm going to start breaking some checkpoints. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that, like, for most people, they, like, break a few checkpoints and they're like, oh, I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> well, because, I mean, I, because you kind of, there are, like, there are, like, roguelike elements in in the idea of you can go and pick up the money, right? Right. So, I think that, you know, you, if you all you got to do is just get back. If you think you can get back to it, then go for it. Yeah, d- definitely. I mean, that's what we're that's what we were thinking. And it like adds that, you know, it makes it so I think like a lot of modern, a lot of modern design uh, is like trying to give the player the ability to control the difficulty in the game. Like for example, uh, Bastion did a really good job of that where you equipped like those items and you, you basically traded off, you'd get more experience for making the game harder, more experience like towards your level character progression and like that was a really i thought that was like a really brilliant idea which is like hey let's not put it in like a hard difficulty setting that makes people feel bad about themselves right (laughs) let's instead put in like this just like an oh oh hey i can like equip an item and get more rewards for like more punishing gameplay 
So I wanted to talk about Kickstarter a little bit. Um, okay. Why did you guys choose Kickstarter, and do you think it was the right decision looking back? Yeah, I, I absolutely think it was the right decision. I think, like, first of all, I, I don't think anyone would have picked up this game. Uh, you know, like once our Kickstarter was done, like everyone was knocking on our door, like, <laughs> like, Hey, why didn't, why didn't you call us? Like I would have given you, you know, $300,000. It's like, you know, you would have seen an NES game and you would have, you would have like you closed the door immediately. Right. <laughs> it's like, please. Um, so yeah, there's that, there's that part. Um, there was the part of wanting to control everything we did. I mean, we came from way forward and there's, there's like two things we didn't like about how we are, how the games operated there. One was, you know, we were working for a publisher and they own everything. And it's like really hard to work in that system. Like even with a really good publisher, they're still not, they're still not invested in a game like you are. Right. Cause they're not making it. Um, so like not, so that part is like sort of like there's just like crud there, and then another part to it is since they're the publisher, they're responsible for managing certain things, and as game developers, like we feel like we could we have like a lot to say in those those areas which we're basically not invited to contribute to, which is like hey, how does the marketing work? You know, like, what images do we use? What, like, copy do we write for the marketing? What, like, you know, what convention? Should we bring it this kind of game around to a convention? Like, maybe this kind of game should go to a convention. <laughs> you know, uh, like, th things like that, you don't have a right to participate in. Like, oh, hey, like, the game is out on Steam. Now we should, like, can we go on the forums and talk about how much we love it? Like, no, because, like, the publisher is responsible for that. Right. Um, so there was that part, uh, which we didn't like. And then, um, I forgot where I was going with that, <laughs> but basically, uh, basically. So like when we went to Kickstarter, there was, there was two things we liked a lot, which was we got to control our entire product. Right. Yeah. Uh, which I think is a lot like what most kicks, most people on Kickstarter will mention. It's like, Oh, we own everything. Like we get to do everything the way we want. Um, like that part's great, but I think the what was even more important to us was the community that comes with Kickstarter, and like because there, there's no real way, there's not an easy way to generate a community around a game. Um, you know, if we were just say we didn't do Kickstarter and we we were rich millionaires and we had a bunch of money, um, <laughs> we would like what would be the avenue we would take with the game right we'd probably say hey we have a new game we're gonna like put it on ign and kotaku and then it would be like no one would care right they'd be like oh i'm so excited for this game to come out but at the, the difference with kickstarter is you know we have fifteen thousand people that are logged in talking about the game like every day yeah saying like hey like my friend Jeff, you should like play the game. I put money into it, and like I've been reading all these like special updates they've been giving me, and I like I'm so excited for it. And then they like all talk to each other, and they all you know like there's a there's just this like huge community that you would not get otherwise, which is like you know other companies you might have like a forum on their website which they've been managing for decades to try to like stimulate the same kind of thing. Um. 
but it's like, re that's a really hard thing to do. And it Kickstarter gives such like a natural it, opportunity to have it. Cause all these people on Kickstarter are already like waiting to jump on games and be excited about them. So, I mean, how has it been since you got the game out into the world? I mean, you guys have been very public about the success and, and the, the things that you've been struggling with. Um, how has that process been for you? Uh, well, it's been one part, like, super exciting and awesome and amazing. Like, I mean, it's gone really well and we could, like, we're super blessed, right? Uh, and the other part is, like, it's extremely stressful and anxiety-ridden, <laughs> you know? Uh, it's, like, it's crazy to think that, like, we can wear a Shovel Knight t-shirt and someone will recognize us on the street. Wow. Yeah, like... I would, I never thought that kind of thing would happen in my life. Uh. <laughs> so you've been, I mean, I guess one of the tough things for you is, is the certification stuff, right? Are you able to like give us a, like a rough breakdown of what, 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 what does this mean and what's been happening there? For Europe, you mean? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot has gone into like why Europe went wrong for us. <laughs> uh, so the first part is that like we just totally screwed up and we didn't plan ahead enough. Um, so like when it came down, like we were under the wire trying to finish this game. Uh, we, so we launched on June, uh, 26th, but we wanted to, we, we said we were going to launch in March. Right. Mm -hmm. So we were obviously running very late. Uh, and one of the things we said was like, there's just no way we're going to finish even the English text in time. Like for, so let's, how about we just you know, we do the English text and we release the game and that's what we'll do. Um, that's what we'll do first and we'll make the other languages come after. And hopefully they'll, like, from our experience in the past, languages have been, like, really quick to go into the game. So we thought, like, oh, it won't be that big a deal. It'll be, like, a couple weeks. Um, and then we'll be done. But the problem was, one, we hadn't done any research to, like, oh, who should we have doing the localization? So that part took a while. Um... And then, but I mean, we, we had started that before the June release, but it was still like, it's a much longer process than we thought. Um, and then actually getting it translated was a longer process because compared to our old games, it was sort of, it was sort of a weird game because the NES, the NES text is very short and very like terse and uh, like often is like having a difficult time, like fitting in every box on the you know, screen. Cause like, you know, German is like three times the length of English. <laughs> um, and then, you know, another decision we made was, Oh, you know, a lot of games release in Europe in just English. And we thought, and we thought like when we were doing the, we just kept thinking like, if I was going to play the game and I lived in Germany or I lived in France, I would want to play it in my native language. Like this feels it feels like a game that should be universal the same way like Mickey Mouse is, right? You don't like you don't think of Mickey Mouse as being an American property. It's like Mer and, uh, Mickey Mouse is a universal property and like he's a world he's a property of the world, right? So like to think of, of that Mickey Mouse would only be in English is like really weird. Um at least, at least that's what, how we see it. So we thought the same is true of Shovel Knight, and we like so that was like a big priority. Which like so we could have gotten it out in Europe, I'm sure, much earlier if we didn't do the translation process. But we've just felt like that was sort of unfair. Um, 
yeah so 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 that was like the translation mess we had and then once we had the translation done you know then it's like all this stuff with being able to get it out in europe to begin with which is like we have to set up like a business entity in europe we need to submit you know the game to noe and they need to get it go through the approval processes with that um so it's just like it was just it's a lot of setup which takes a lot of time because you're working with all these different companies and and they all are on their own schedules right mm -hmm. so yeah <laughs> i guess that sums up most of it but it is out on steam right and, and it, with steam yes, you it, can get it anywhere correct with steam you can get it anywhere so that's how i've been playing because i've been playing on the mac because it very recently launched on the mac too right because you were on the pc yep. for a while uh which led me when i uh, it was basically a couple of months ago because me and federico probably wanted to play the game and we love our 3ds's right so we've been, we've been waiting to try and uh to, to grab the game um and we've been very sad about it because we've been so excited about it especially because <laughs> all the reviews have been so good and just people are just like shovel it's just fantastic so uh, a couple of months ago, I bought a 360, a wired 360 controller, so I could play games on Steam on on the Mac. And I saw Shovel Knight in the Steam store. I was like, "Yes!" And I bought it, and then realized it was a PC. Oh, <laughs> <And> no! Then, <laughs> oh, but no. then, but then, like, uh, it's, it was recently on Mac. And then today, I carved out some time, and I I think I put like four or five hours in. Uh, and and I'm I'm pretty sure that I'm in love. <laughs> uh, with Shovel Knight like it's just this like heaven of nostalgia like the music is so good and like oh thank you I don't really no, want to actually we okay. weren't sure uh, I don't mean sorry to cut you off but we weren't sure how well it would play with Europeans actually because uh, I mean as far as I know at least I might be wrong but like the NES wasn't a big system for Europe Right, they like started to pick up a lot more in the Super Nintendo, and yeah, true. Even even that, I think they're like is is Europe more? I think like Sega might have been bigger, or something else in Europe might have been bigger. Well, uh, I I was a Nintendo household. You, right? yeah. I, I had an uh, an NES and an SNES like when I was growing up. So I, I think yeah. that that's helped me. Like, and I was always a Nintendo as a kid. You know, yeah, right. but it wasn't and, as big as the Super Nintendo. Yeah, and like the the original Nintendo, I think they didn't translate any of the games. They yeah, only did yeah. them in English, yeah. which is like I would imagine that that's like a huge part of the market that is basically can't play it, right? Was that was that the case for you, Federico, in Italy? I I, I think it is the case. Yeah, because the Super Nintendo was much much bigger, and I think the Game Boy um, started to uh, to become popular after a few years. But the the NES was you know, I have a few friends who remember Duck Hunt and Super Mario Bros. 3. I think it's true, because I think the Super Nintendo is when they started translating it, and when they really started pushing it in Europe uh, a lot more than they did with the NES. I think the NES was sort of like an afterthought in Europe. At least that would be my guess. It's like we they put it out, it's like they're experimenting for the first time. Um... And then they started to like figure out the market and hit their stride for Super Nintendo. So, David, it has been such a pleasure to to have you, and thank you for for coming onto the show and for talking uh, so openly and, and about this fantastic game that you've created. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, where, anytime. where can people like find you if they want to see what you're kind of up to it, and also where can people buy Shovel Knight? 
they can buy Shovel Knight through our website, or uh, if they're not in Europe, <laughs> they, they can buy it on uh, the, you know, the Nintendo eShop, uh, or if you are a, a Steam user, you could buy it internationally, or you can get it on Humble or uh, GOG internationally, too. Um, and otherwise, you could find me. You could email me at david at Yacht Club Games, or uh, my Twitter handle is dandyycg, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, sir. It's been, it's been a real, real pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. And Federico, I want to talk to you about Super Smash Brothers today because I know that you're probably like on the edge of your seat about it right now. But <laughs> I want to take a moment to thank our second sponsor for this week's episode, and that is our friends at Hover. I love Hover. They are the best way to buy and manage domains. In my opinion, they're the, they should be the only company in the world that's allowed to sell domain names because they're so awesome. Hover has been my place of choice for years. When I have an idea for a project after I've struggled for about six months trying to come up with a name, I go straight to Hover to see if that domain is available. If Hover tells me that domain is available, the project can go out to the world. And they give me a bunch of great tools, and they give you a bunch of great tools so you can do this. So let's say you have some ideas for a name, you have some keywords, or you can go to Hover.com, you can type them in to their fantastic search field, and they're going to show you all of the available TLDs, right? They sell .com, .co, .me, they sell all the new crazy ones like .sexy, .coffee, and .plumbing, right? They have all of those. Maybe you want .club, you can get that if you want. And they show you all of these, they're all available and they show you which ones you can buy and they show you the prices for them the prices of which have recently all been discounted hover have cut their prices and on so many of their top level domains including for example .com which is now 12.99 which is a fantastic deal hover are just so great because when you go through the process with them when you've selected the domains you want from the list right you've you've had your your idea you've put your keywords in you've found that you can get federicofury.com, right? Because that's the website that you want to register. You just select it and you just go through the process and buy it. They don't throw up loads of banner ads at you and like, hey, buy this, buy that, buy this, buy this, throw this in, do this. They don't do any of that. They give you who is privacy for free and they keep things simple. They have fantastic customer support. They have a no hold, no wait, no transfer telephone support policy. I could go on all day about Hover. Suffice to say, they are fantastic. You should go right now to hover.com and try them out. Federico, you're going to love this. Use the code VILLAGER at checkout. Oh, yes. <laughs> and you will get 10% off your first purchase at hover.com. Show your support for this show by going to hover.com, using the code VILLAGER at checkout, and that will help support Really FM. Thank you so much to Hover for sponsoring this episode. Federico, earlier this week, you issued a tweet. I issued a tweet, yes. You issued because a tweet. I, yeah, that's the right terminology, yeah. And, and it said, Super Smash Bros. 3DS is glorious and exactly the kind of deep, portable experience we're not getting on iOS. I'm going to assume you enjoy Smash Bros. a bit. Yeah, okay, that's a right assumption. Tell me about your uh, week or so with, with Super Smash Bros. on 3DS. It's amazing. It's I mean, there, I saw people criticizing the game because, you know, uh, the 3DS has a smaller screen and uh, the real version will be on the Wii U. Personally, I just, you know, I just don't care. It's, it's an amazing game and it's so packed with content. It's, it's full of stuff to do, stuff to unlock. 
characters, uh, stages, and combos, and and especially when you when you start playing online, um, you can you can see and feel the kind of depth that is possible in this game. So I've been playing um, from Friday last week when I got the game to Monday or Tuesday, um, four or five hours every every day. So I, I've already put in something like twenty hours into the game, and. Um, and then, of course, I started moving on, on Monday night. So, Did you say um, 20 hours? Yeah, already, yes. Oh, and, uh, and I've been playing, I guess, 10 half and half um, single-player and online multiplayer. And I've been having lots of fun uh, losing to other people online because I've been losing. I, I think I won, like, out of 50 or 60 matches, I won, like, five or six and so probably my my Super Smash Brothers uh, reputation online score isn't the highest one, um, but still it's fun to lose to other people because you you can understand the kind of uh, the kind of te- techniques and 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 depth that other people know. Right. Um, so I've been I've been playing with I've been struggling to find a main character. And by main character, I, I refer to the kind of character that you always use, you know, because when you play with friends, when you play with other people, that, that's the character that you, you know, that you're more, most knowledgeable about. So I've been trying the villager. I've been trying, um, of course, online. I've been trying the villager. I've been trying um, uh, Zero Suit Samus. I've been trying um, one of the Fire Emblem characters uh i've been trying what else uh, i think i tried with um captain falcon i tried with toon link i tried a bunch of characters and i'm still struggling to find one that i really really like feel safe with um i think I, i've done most of my fights with uh zero suit samus because i like the the combination of um you know the kind of moves that she has like the 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 combination of uh, guns and kicks and agility and jumps, you know, I kind of I kind of relate to the kind of fighting style. But I'm also I think I'm going to keep uh, trying with uh, with the Fire Emblem characters because I I kind of like uh, sword fighting in Smash Brothers. And my general takeaway so far is that single player mode is is really fun because it, there's a lot of stuff to unlock. I like Smash Run. I like the classic mode. I enjoy uh, unlocking all the trophies and looking at the the collection of my trophies. And uh, there's really a lot of stuff to do. And and this is the kind of game that requires you hundreds and hundreds of hours of gameplay to to kind of understand all the you know the mechanics and the details. Uh, that Nintendo put into this game. When it comes to online play, I think that I will always um, suck <laughs> compared to other people, simply because I don't have, I cannot commit to this game like ten hours every day, like some people that you fight against online do. Uh, because when you when you play online, you, there's a chance that you may run into the, you know, the kind of person who's really, really serious about Smash Brothers and who knows all the techniques and the combos and the weird little secrets about characters and that 
depending on your fighting style, they can adapt and they can choose another character. They can, you know, they, they can be flexible with their combos and with their with their strategies. Um, so I don't think I will ever be a kick-ass online player for Super Smash Brothers. I look forward to playing with friends because I, I think that playing with friends is more balanced, right? Because I know that you and me, Mike, we, we share basically the same kind of commitment to video games uh, because we have other jobs. And I think that the other games, uh, the other friends that I have on the, the Nintendo uh, on Nintendo Network are kind of similar to me when it comes to, you know, uh, I don't know people who spend 20 hours every day playing video games, but I still haven't played against friends. My when it comes to the game itself, I think that it's too soon to tell because I haven't unlocked all the characters because I still need to uh, understand, you know, many many details. But I do think that it's it's a it's a game that plays exceptionally well on the Nintendo 3DS, and I think that it will be even more comfortable on the new 3DS. Uh, I've been playing on Nintendo 3DS XL, uh, which is kind of okay for my hands. Um, but I don't really like the screen because it's uh, it's really low res. And seeing the, you know, the, all the pixels on the Nintendo 3DS XL doesn't help when it comes to Smash Brothers. And last week you mentioned that you had problems um, in seeing the uh, you know the characters when there's like four of them fighting on the screen and you can get confused when you're looking at all the combos and the stuff going on um i i think i experienced that kind of confusion only a couple of times and those couple of, of times it was because of the screen quality of the nintendo 3ds xl i do believe that a higher res uh console with a portable console with a better screen could do wonders to Smash Brothers. Um, I've been having lots of fun, Mike. I've been trying to understand my uh, what kind of fighting style I have um, because I I haven't been serious about Smash Brothers since my GameCube days. Um, so I, I feel a bit rusty. You know, I need to relearn the way that I play Smash Brothers. But the game really feels similar. You know, the pace and, you know, the it just feels more similar to, to the GameCube game than to those uh, few hours that I put into the, the Wii version. I'm really happy so far, and it's the kind of game that you... Like, like I said in the, in the tweet that I issued... Uh, it's not the kind of game that you get on an iPhone or an iPad, simply because it's you cannot have that kind of experience without uh, physical controls and without two screens on a small display. I don't think I've played enough because I'm not enjoying it. <laughs> really? Yeah. What's uh, what's the problem? I I feel like I'm understanding the controls, but I feel like I have absolutely no control over what I'm doing. Like... I mean, you know, this comes from the fact that I've never really played Smash Brothers. I don't really tend to like fighting games because mm. I always kind of have this feeling. I mean, it's awesome to look at and there's so much cool stuff on screen. I, I do think I'm suffering from having the smaller, like the original 3DS 
because it is like really crazy for me to see what's happening sometimes. Mm. I'm learning the controls a bit better, but I, I haven't played it enough. I've only played a, like a couple of hours maximum. Um, but it's it's really... I, re- I need to play more. I need to play more. Have you been playing uh, single player, online? Just single player against like the computer. I, I played in the sort of the training thing a bit that's how i learned um how to do a bunch of stuff um and i've played some single player matches really i've i wouldn't go near online but yeah it's, it feels i don't know i'm just getting frustrated because I, there's like all this part of me it's like you should be enjoying this game why are you not enjoying this game you know and i, I think it's this simply be... because i'm not i'm I, I don't have the natural flair for the controls yet you know this should be an episode of analog and we talk about the <laughs> feelings with Smash Brothers. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, I think that for a new, if you're new to the to the series, it can be super confusing, especially because there's a you know the controls. You need to understand the difference, the differences between regular attacks and smash attacks, and uh, you know uh, facing a specific direction with your uh, character, and also all the items and you know the the, the trophies and you know that how you can use objects while you're fighting so there's a lot of stuff going on and also i think that the, the fact that there's a lot of content is awesome if you if you know how smash brothers works it can be really confusing and like make you feel like it's too much if you're a new if you're new to the to the series and maybe Nintendo could have could have done a better job at the explaining the controls um, because you you bought the the game from the eShop, right? Yeah. You don't have a, a physical copy with a, an instruction manual. No. Yeah. Because yeah, so you you need to you need to watch like YouTube videos. There to... was there was literally no tutorial on the game. Yeah. And and yeah. I, the video that we watched last that that we had in the show notes last week. It doesn't actually show you the buttons. It just says press the special button. I'm like, well, what button is that? Um, so, be special, right? But do you know what I mean? Like, how useful is it to say press the special button? You're gonna tell me what the button is. I, I think you're right. I think I need to watch uh, some, like a fan produced video. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because I, it feels like the kind of because for me it's obvious, right? I know how Smash Brothers works. Uh, for new people, and this is an interesting perspective because you never hear this kind of perspective in the you know in video game websites or other podcasts because they assume that you know what Smash Brothers is, and I think that it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a game only for people who know how games work uh, because Nintendo has this huge. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> that was my water. Um, <laughs> oh no! Yeah, no, it's it's closed. Okay. No worries. And uh, Nintendo has this huge. That was because I'm gesturing while I'm talking to you. Getting I excited realize. now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm getting all Italian here, and Nintendo has this huge uh, catalog of you know games and series and characters and stages and items and you know little. Uh, interesting facts about their video games and they shouldn't appeal just to existing gamers I don't even want to use that word uh, they, they, they should appeal to more people and to people who don't know Smash Brothers uh, 
they should be able to, to jump into the game and have some kind of tutorial or, or you know, this is another word that I despise. Um, onboarding pro, you know, process yeah. of sorts. Yeah, I don't like it. But you get the idea, right? Like, teach you how to play the game because they tell you, so press the special button. And, okay, what's the special button? And also because Smash Brothers has a really unique uh, game, gameplay mechanic and uh, basic concepts that you need to understand. Like, don't jump while you're on a ledge or stuff like that because I know that, I know that those things... You don't know those things because you haven't played Smash Brothers before. And maybe Nintendo kind of assumes that people know what Smash Brothers is and yeah. like the basic rules. Uh, probably the, I guess the Wii U version um, will be better because they have a bundled uh, electronic manual. So I'm hoping that maybe on the Wii, you know, you know bigger screen, uh, television, gamepad, it should be easier to approach. But it feels like they should have done a better job on the 3DS. Because I, I was thinking about this, right? When you told me it, it's confusing for me. And I was like, why is Mike so confused by the game? It doesn't make any sense. But then I, I, I took a look at the game and I, and I realized, yeah, if you don't know this game already, it can be difficult to get into it. Yeah, I think I, I bet there's some videos there. And if anybody listening has got a good video, like a sort of somebody's produced like a tutorial how to play smash brothers like please send it along to me um on twitter i'm i mike i am yke um please send it i would love to know it i have no doubt federico that over the next couple of weeks you'll have more to say about this <laughs> yeah especially uh let me let me set up my new wi-fi here mm-hmm. uh because I, I wanted to play with um online with a personal hotspot on my ipad uh, but it didn't feel like a like a good idea, you know. I need to be careful with those gigabytes. Yeah. So <laughs> let me let me set up my new connection here, and I'll, I'll tell you more about Smash Brothers. So again, I want to thank uh, David D'Angelo for joining us today. That was an absolutely fantastic interview that I really enjoyed, and I hope that you all enjoyed it too. If you want to catch up with me and Federico online, I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, and Federico is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I on Twitter. If you want to find the show notes for this week's episode, go go take your web browser to relay.fm slash virtual slash eight. We'll be back next week with another episode of the show. Thank you so much to Linda and Hover for sponsoring, and thanks to you for listening. Until next time, bye-bye. Arrivederci.